0: Hi, and welcome to another very special edition of the NET Ministries podcast. This is the second of our series, The WAPO Sessions. Uh, this interview is with Sister Carolyn. Sister Carolyn is a sister with the Order St. Francis
1: and the Martyr St. George. And she uh, has come to NET training a few times now. And so Dan took some time out in the middle of our day, uh, middle of
0: our day of training with the marketing team to interview her. And so Sister Carolyn, if you've ever met her, she is just, has the best personality. She's one of
1: those people you want to be around. And she's also obviously very passionate about becoming a saint. So let's jump right in. Enjoy this interview with Sister Carolyn. Sister Mary Carolyn, welcome. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here with you. It's great to have you here at Camp Wapagasset for our training. Wapo. Now... um, This is Net Ministries, National Evangelization Teams, and we train 178 young people each year for mission work. Were you ever a netter?
0: I was never a netter, but some of our sisters were netters, and we've kind of been part of training, just coming up to accompany the the missionaries during their time here and just be available to, you know, talk to them, play nine square with them, eat meals with them, and pray with them, so...
1: Nine square Maybe our listeners Don't know what that What is is Nine square square is
0: like Four square only better Because there's nine (laughs) squares And so the goal Is to hit the ball And with you know With one hand You don't want to Double hit it Or anything like that To get to the center square To be the king or queen And uh, we've met on the Nine square court A number of times During my 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 week week. here
1: (laughs) 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 And your superiors Know that that's what You're doing when you're here Playing nine square
0: Yeah I actually Was very clear with them That I plan to do nine square And um, sit in a hammock or two (laughs) And uh, also to go on Go on a kayak Which I have not done Because it's been and choppy and I hear the lake is a little bit icky right now so but you are on the water today I, I was on a pontoon boat which is okay I wasn't getting wet with nasty water how was that it was great. I, I really love boats. I grew up on the East Coast, and so I'm definitely an ocean water kind of girl. And I like to pray, imagining myself at the water with Jesus quite yeah. often. So, like, actually getting the chance to go on a boat and cool. be out and feel the breeze. It was like a perfect day to be on the boat. So well,
1: What were you guys doing? Were you adventuring?
0: or? Uh, we were just adventuring. One of the priests here, Father Michael Bainham, was celebrating his birthday. So it was kind of like a little mini birthday party sort of thing. And we just just adventuring. We did some singing and laughing and... At one point, the boat stopped, and so we were a little bit nervous about that. We had paddles just in case. Oh, but, you can
1: reflect then at that point, Yeah, you know, it was, for fear on the water. It,
0: I actually told him, because when we started to go out, it was kind of choppy and windy, yeah. and I was like, you're just going to get out there and yell, peace be still, and it's going to be fine. But yeah. we didn't have to tap into those powers. Father Frankie was on the boat with us, and he did give a prayer of blessing before we got started, oh, just in case. That just, is good. You know
1: okay so what is your religious order what's the name of it?
0: so i'm with the sisters of saint francis of the martyr saint george and coming up on my 13th anniversary of entrance uh, coming up on september 8th so it'll be um yeah it's been a great ride we're out of alton illinois in the united states but we're a worldwide congregation okay. a lot of people ask about our name like yeah. why francis and george couldn't you just pick one it's so is confusing it, so it's
1: the francis so and it's, it's the george
0: right so sisters of saint francis of the martyr Saint George. So, our founders, Mother and Selma, originally wanted us to be the Sisters of Saint Francis of the Sacred Heart because our main devotion is to the pure side of Christ. It's the blood and water, it's the merciful love. Uh, but that name was already taken. So, womp womp, by accident, <laughs> or, you know, accident or providence, Saint George ended up becoming part of our name because the church where she was working when she founded our community was the Church of Saint George the Martyr. So,
1: oh, same
0: okay. dragon slaying, yeah. patron of England, you would know that. that yeah, yeah, so well. Saint George. He's a man. Now our sister Mary George has all these things I mean being named for him. She's kind of given yeah. a lot of reflection to this about what it means to be to have that name that Saint Francis himself was a soldier so he probably would have had a devotion to Saint George and yeah. is probably quite pleased that a branch of his family would would have the name of George. Um I like to think about in terms of the dragons in our culture today and the dragons mm-hmm. that need to be slain and of course there's this whole question of like was the dragon actually part of like self like slaying the like the the old man kind of thing and so uh, putting off the new man. I like to also think of um what's his name, Eustace in um uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia yes. like when he becomes the dragon and has to yes. peel off the scales. It's one of my favorite images. So just even in terms of my own deeper conversion that's so much a part of Franciscan life is mm-hmm. that deeper conversion. So what does it mean to to slay the dragons in our own hearts? Yeah. Uh, with the help of grace. So.
1: I love the the first line of that book. There once was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. <laughs> I love the start of that. It's so yeah. good. But names are, are important. Names and are
0: very important, yes. I
1: love that name. So it's Sister Mary Carolyn. Yes. There's a story behind that. There's a
0: story behind that. So it's spelled with a K, which is the really important part. Yeah. I usually introduce myself as Sister Carolyn with a K. Um, <laughs> I originally wanted to be Sister Mary Xavier. That was the first name I asked okay. for because I wanted to be named for a zealous missionary, set the world on fire kind of saint. So I thought, St. Francis Xavier, like, it doesn't get any better than that. Like, Mr. Baptized thousands of people and go see his arm, which is in uh, in the Jesu in Rome. That's and weird. I had prayed there before and thought, like, this is the guy. Like, I need to be named for this guy His right arm here. is there? His arm, yeah, That's that, weird. The, his right arm. It's, it's cool. It's, it's cool and weird. It's like one <laughs> of those Catholic things. <laughs> it's like cool and we're like saint anthony's tongue you know, you know yeah. his like jawbone and his tongue uh vocal cords but anyway so yeah saint francis xavier was like i was like that's the name i want and mother says she's like i don't know why but no okay you're yeah. mother so you you win yeah. uh yeah. and she's like well what are some other names you like i was like or is another some other saints do you like and i like saint augustine and she goes oh how about how about sister augustina and i with all due respect to people out there named augustina i just couldn't Quite look at myself in the mirror and see yeah. myself as an Augustine or like yeah. hear my family calling me that. I was like, no, it's not going to happen. I can't, can't do it. So then I was kind of back to back to square one. I didn't really have much, and uh, my postulant director said, well, what names do you like? Like, if you would would have a daughter, what would you name her? And I just loved the name Caroline um, most of all because I think of the song and because I'm a Red Sox fan and like eighth inning at Fenway Park, they always sing Sweet Caroline. So I thought that'd be kind of cool because I joke around that I lost a bet with God in 2004 and that's why I entered the convent in 2005. So partially true i did say like lord i'm a mess and like you gotta show me you can take something that's mess and make good out of it like the yeah. red Sox won the world series and then they did <laughs> for the first time since 1918 <laughs> god wanted me that bad that's why they won so wow. you're welcome red Sox. um <laughs> so i thought that'd be kind of cool to be named sister caroline and but mother said well caroline's a southern bell name and you're not a southern bell so how about carolyn and i was wow. like ah, i'm thinking to myself carolyn like all the carolyn's that i knew were kind of older mm. a little bit more serious mm. and i don't know oh, that's gonna fit mm-hmm. but as i prayed about it um then I thought, well, I don't really know like St. Charles Borromeo. Why would I want to be Carolyn or Caroline? Yeah. But it was the anniversary of John Paul II's death. It was April 2nd, 2006, mm. the first anniversary. And I was reading a Newsweek magazine from when he died. And in the magazine, it kept referring to him as Carol Voitiwa, Carol Voitiwa. And uh, so part of that, I was like, oh, I could be Sister Carolyn with a K. And then that would be perfect. So um, I'm named for him. And I got my zealous missionary saint, after all, just in a different form than I imagined. And I, and I really feel like he, he chose me. And he's oh, like, yeah. okay you're mine uh and there's a lot of other aspects of his life and his personhood that have come alive in me that i recognize like oh this is probably part of my like of why i have this name but take on that identity it's a lot of us joke about you know we take this name we have no idea what it's going Mm. to mean and as it's as it's unpacked we write we write a paper about it actually when we first received the name and then so i wrote this paper back in 2006 and um As I go back, gone back to read it, there's so many aspects of it that have definitely come to fruition in my own heart, but there's some other aspects that have really, I didn't recognize at the time, but in my own growth and continual conversion, it's it's very evident that, especially his personhood and his understanding of what it means to be a human person, what it means to love, what it means to be in relationship, a lot of his stuff from Theology of the Body, a lot of his writings, well, not technically his writings, but from Gaudium et Spes in uh, Second Vatican Council, man finding himself in the true gift of self, or Christ fully revealing man to himself... All that stuff has really um, kind of come alive in, in my own heart, and my life, as I've lived into this identity.
1: That is awesome. Names are so important, though. They really are. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, even the, the, the beginning of that book by Lewis, there once was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Like, that really speaks into, like, almost his identity. Sure. Immediately, when you read that first line, you can kind of get a hint into what kind <laughs> of character he's going to be. My own name, for example, Daniel... You know, it's God is my judge. And I've reflected on that in the past 10, 12 years. And it's been something that has pushed me on and made me realize, no, the Lord is calling me personally um, to something. Mm. And he is the one that is judging that. And I'm going to be judged by him at the end of my days. And that's something I carry with me wherever I go, um, reflecting on the meaning of my name, like how it's tied to my identity. So it's really right. cool to hear you yeah. say that for yourself. And that,
0: and that God is the one who calls us by name, even from yeah. the very beginning. And that I, I think of, of scripture when someone has a name, but then God changes it. And that's, yeah. that's why as religious, we, we choose this whole new identity. We take on this whole new identity in Christ mm. um, to say like, this is, okay, this is who I was, but in entering into this way of life, this is who God is calling me to be. And this is who he's giving me the grace to become. Wow.
1: Is it is that a direct connection? Is that there is yeah, yeah. absolutely wow, putting on
0: the new man. Like as we we receive our names the day that we receive the religious habit, yeah. and so it's like putting like literally putting on the new man. And really, there's a lot of connections to baptism in that particular ceremony that we yeah. that we do the ceremony of reception into the novitiate uh, because it's where we receive our name and where we receive the garment. So I would say yeah. you know consecrated life is a deepening of our baptismal consecration that we already have, mm. and so it's right there. We we enter in we as. Actually, for our vows as well, we carry a candle representing the light of our baptismal candle. So there's that connection. And then uh, we receive our name and we receive our new clothes, just like in the rite of baptism where you're, the first question that the priest or deacon asks is, what name do you give to this child? It's the very first thing. Yeah. And then in the context of that rite, they receive the white garment to signify that they're a whole new creation in Christ. And so mm. for us, we receive the new name and then the new garment. And as the bishop hands it to us, he says, the religious habit be the garment of your salvation. Wow. And so it's, it's taking that to the next level as well.
1: That's amazing. Beautiful. So um, I heard you were having a conversation about identity um, with one of uh, our mutual friends. I was, yeah. And um, you have a lot to say on it and you briefly like shared some of that with me. So Sure. I'd love to talk about that right now. Yeah.
0: Identity is so important. And I'm the vocation director for our community. And I think more than anything else, uh, like I'm not about recruiting, but I, my deepest desire is to walk with people to discover their identity in Christ. Because mm. only when they grow in relationship with Him and discover their identity, can they live the mission that they've been created for. Wow. And so we've got to start somewhere. Um, and so the identities of the heart are really key. And I, and I taught this when I taught high school as well. And the kids really, they got into it, they got it. And I could see, I could see them growing into it. So you <laughs> For women, uh, we are first and foremost, we are daughters. For men, you're first and foremost sons. And so what does it mean to be a daughter or a son? It means that we learn that we are delighted in. It means we learn we are good. It means that we learn we're worthy of love. Or those are the things that should happen within that identity. Sure. It's a completely receptive identity. There's nothing we do to earn or to put on that um, that title of daughter or son. It's simply, it's given to us. Yeah. And, uh, and that it's just complete and utter grace. So to have open hands and to, to just be delighted in. And to have that freedom of what it means to be a son and Daughter, I don't have to do anything for myself. I, I know that I have someone that I can rely on who is there to care for me and wants to care for me. Um, and then the second identity that we would grow into, and this is even on a natural level, um, brother or sister. I don't know. If, do you have siblings? Yeah, I, you have bro- brothers, I have two I know one brothers. of your brothers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm also I'm the oldest of three as well. Oh, cool. Uh, and so Respect. my sister and brother are twins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So my sister and brother are twins, and I was three and a half when they were born. Yeah. But when I when I became a sister when I when they were born and I became a sister, I was no less a son, a daughter of my of my mm. parents. So that the identities build on each other. Like when you become a brother or a sister, you are no less the son or daughter that you were. But in a sense, you have to know that you are as yourself as a son or a daughter to be able to learn that receptive love so that when you become a brother or a sister, you can begin to give yourself away. Because when you become a brother or a sister, you realize, oh, I'm good. I'm worthy of love, but I'm not the center of the universe. And there are, there's this other that I need to be concerned about. There's this other who's also good and worthy of love. Um, Hmm. There's this other who's different than me, who I have gifts that maybe they don't have, they have gifts that maybe I don't have, but there's things that we can share with one another. Uh, And that can be toys. (laughs) That's also mom and dad's attention, right? And so um, that's the the second identity. And in both of those identities, there's a lot of self-knowledge that we come to, both as as sons and daughters. We have to have a lot of knowledge of who we are, of the gifts that we've been given. Uh, And then when we enter into that relationship as brother and sister— that's when we kind of learn even more so our gifts, our strengths, and our weaknesses, and we, we come to kind of grow in those things. So it's this deeper, deepening self-knowledge. And also in that knowledge, uh, that, that level of being brother and sister, we learn um, to kind of control ourselves. We learn not to throw hissy fits, right? It's yeah. part of the formation of a child is like, okay, if you don't always get what you want, then this is not the end of the universe. But you learn how to how to deal with that and how to grow through that and grapple with that. Yeah. Uh, And both, so that identity is more of a giving identity. Becoming a brother or a sister is less of all about me, and it's more all about you. And so once we've learned how to receive as son or daughter, then we learn how to give as brother and sister, and that prepares us for this next identity, which is the spousal identity, that of being a bride or a husband. And regardless of the state in life to which one is called, uh, whether it's priesthood, religious life, married life, every single one of us is called to be a bride or a groom, like period. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the very nature of what it means to be uh, a member of the church right like yeah. we are as members of the bride of christ we re- we represent that in our spousal love for one another and so in the, in my case it's that spousal love with christ through through vows through mm-hmm. vowing myself to him in the consecrated religious life and the the cool thing about the spousal identity is there's this mutuality of giving and receiving and so it's what you learn as a daughter or or, or a son and what you learn as a brother or a sister prepares you to be the husband or wife that you're going to be uh, now, for many of us, we've got some wounds that come along with being a daughter or a son. We've got some wounds that come along with being a brother or sister. And then we try to give ourselves as husbands and wives, and it can be really, really messy. Hmm. Um, and so I, I find that there, there's always a continual healing that's happening. Uh, but I think when it comes to vocational discernment, people can get really wrapped up and deciding like, well, how, what's this going to look like? How am I going to live out this spousal identity? Yeah. Well, hold, the, hold your horses, because before we can even get there, we have to look at how are you living out your identity as a daughter or son? How are you living out your identity as a brother or sister? Hmm. What are the ways that you know yourself? What are the ways that you accept yourself and receive yourself so that you can give yourself? Because if you're not looking at those things, and even as as I'm living my spousal identity with the Lord, he's continually pulling back the veil. I mean, I was in the convent for 10 years uh, before I made my final vows. And that that last year before I made final vows, those last months before I made final vows, he pointed out some things to me that I was so unaware of. Uh, or I was aware of, but I didn't really know how to how to deal with them. So just looking at, wow, I don't know myself as a daughter. I'm not really good at receiving hmm. why. Okay, Jesus. This is why. This is what. Uh, this is part of my story. This is how I was raised. These are the. These are the lies I began to believe about myself as a little girl. And so, because of that, I'm not able to know myself as a daughter. And so, even though I'm I'm pretty good at being a sister to other people, and I'm pretty good about, about being a spiritual mom. We'll get to that next uh, that next identity yeah, in a second. Yeah. But like, I'm pretty good at the at the sister and the mother. Those are both the giving identities. Yeah. And the daughter and the bride. I kind of was riding the drug bus mm. when it came to receiving the Lord's love. Yeah. And so um, in the course of, of a, the few months of my preparation for final vows, I was like, all right, Lord, before I can give myself to you forever, before I walk down the aisle and say forever and you put a ring on it, like, we <laughs> got to talk about these things. we got to look at these things.
1: Wow. So Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. All of those. The, so let me see if I get this, this right. So daughter and son, mm-hmm. that's the first one, brother and sister, mm-hmm. and then spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so these identities, one of... Um, as a child, like as a son or a daughter, you're receiving. The brother and sister, you're kind of mutual, well, you're giving, and then as a spouse, there's mutual give, mm-hmm. there's giving and receiving. Um, but when you kind of hit the spouse stage, wherever you are in life, like um, depending on how well, like firmly grounded you're in your identities as brother, sister, or son and daughter, will depend on how well you can Love as a spouse is that? Is, did I get that I out? I think okay. that I mean that's wow. definitely
0: been my experience as a religious sister. Even like my ability to love as a spouse has been marked by my inability to receive as a daughter. Wow. Uh, and so as the Lord has been looking like showing me those things and healing those things, like my spousal love with the Lord has become much more rich, mm. much more full, and I'm able to give more of myself because I can receive more
1: deeply. So if you find that you're you're on the struggle bus, as you said, in uh, you know the, the sort of spousal kind of dimension of your identity um you kind of pray and discern through you know your your you as a sister in the past and you as a daughter and then if you find that there's something lacking in that either um giving or receiving you kind of stick with that and pray with it? Or how, yeah, how, for how, sure. How do you go about that?
0: Um, it's very much a discernment, and yeah. it's very much a conversation with the Lord. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with praying like a pirate. Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. R. Get it? Pray like a pirate. So anyway. Wait, wait, wait.
1: All I heard was So Acknowledge,
0: relate, receive, respond. R. Pray like a pirate. Okay. Uh, so just acknowledging. Like, Lord, I know that I'm not good at receiving. Yeah. Like, just straight up acknowledging and telling him why, telling him the things that have, the lies maybe, like this is the lie that I believe about receiving. This is, you know, I feel like I have to do this. I feel like I have to be in control. And just kind of relating all of that, almost like just like vomiting out, like word vomit in prayer, you know? Yeah. Um, but then that next step is so important to receive, like to allow the Lord to speak to me, okay, this is why, this is what I see when I see that. And the examined prayer of St. Ignatius is so important. Mm. Like, And I, I always relate it to like watching film for sports. Like, why do you watch film? To see like where you've messed up and also to see where your strengths are. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that as you go to the next game, you know yeah. how to play, how to navigate the game. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, like really praying like that and allowing Him, okay, this is what I see when I watch the film. This is what I see. Let me tell you the truth about what happened here. Let me relate, let me reveal to you what was actually at play. Yeah. Uh, so that you are able to better, like, see my face in it. And as you see my face in the midst of your woundedness, that's where the healing is going to come. Mm-hmm. And places that are wounded are always, when they're healed, they become places of mission. And so it's oh. very much a kind of Wait, part of the journey. Say that again. When a wound is healed, it becomes a place of mission.
1: Hmm. Say more about that.
0: Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, how many people listen to this? No, I'm just <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs>
1: um
0: I think so. So a wound, right? It's a, it's a place of messiness. It's a place of pain. Yeah. But when we allow Jesus to to meet us in those spaces, and He gets in there with His holy peroxide, and He cleans all of it out, and it bubbles up. Holy peroxide. Like, I, I, I don't it. know. I like you it. know, um, <laughs> well you know, like when we allow Him to, to do that, and we allow Him to draw close close to that place. Then yeah. that's a place of intimacy. Yeah. And whenever there's a place of intimacy with the Lord, that's a place of mission. That's definitely a place we want to go out uh, is from from our intimacy with Him, right? So to, to just let that become a place like those of us who have experienced different parts of our lives can relate better to, to other people out in the mission field. I know with the net missionaries, yeah. I think just today it was said, whatever parts of your story are messy, like God yeah. wants even that. Yeah. Like he doesn't call you despite of, but because yeah, of, like yeah, he wants every yeah. single piece of us. Uh, because when we let him into that and when his light shines through the messiness that actually reveals his glory in this refla- refla- uh, refracted light that brings us like glorious splendor.
1: Yeah. So all of this is part of the pirate's prayer.
0: Yeah, acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's how I pray all the time. Like if i having, if something, someone says something that ticks me off, like yeah. I acknowledge it and I relate. Because <laughs> like the worst thing to do is to stuff it down, because then yeah. it comes out in ways we don't want. Um, but Jesus wants even that. He wants the mess. He wants us to. He wants to meet us right there.
1: Mm. Wow, that's very really cool. So. We have three kind of identities and you said there was more. So the,
0: the fourth identity is that yeah. of being a mother or a father. Okay. Is that um, the final one? That's the final one. Okay. Yeah. And so that's that identity is primarily a giving identity, right? Um, because any parent who relies on their child to give them their identity is that's kind of that's a disorder. There's some dysfunction there. Mm. And so the the goal of the parent is not like, Oh, I'm gonna have this kid so that it can love me back, <laughs> he or she can love me back, right? The goal is I I love my spouse so much that I wanna give myself so that new life comes about. And then to nurture the next 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 generation into knowing what it means to be beloved sons and daughters and to nurture the next generation into learning how to be brothers and sisters. Uh, And anytime that we start that that a mother or father starts to grasp that and try to have a child for their own purposes, then that there's selfishness there. And that's where disorder and dysfunction enter in where the son and daughter don't or son or daughter don't learn their identity properly. And Mm -hmm. there can be some skewed vision there. Um, so I've I've experienced my identity as a mother primarily in the spiritual well, only in the spiritual realm, right? Yeah. Um, and that was actually part of my own vocation story. Was recognizing that my heart was made to love as a spiritual mother. Hmm. That like a family life would have been too small for my hmm. heart, versus the way that it was created. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't have satisfied me to the degree that being a spiritual mother and not. Like not feeling limited, but just being able to love like recklessly. Mm. Um, I was a high school teacher for seven years, and so that was a beautiful like kind of arena to love as a spiritual mother to to accompany my students
1: as, as a sister. As a sister, okay. yeah, yeah, as a sister. How long have you been a sister? Uh, Thirteen years. Okay. So
0: three years of formation, and then I spent a year doing parish work as a youth minister and director of religious ed. Yeah, and then I spent seven years teaching high school, and I'm in my th- starting my third year of being vocation director but even this like total spiritual motherhood i just get to like accompany people in the midst of their stories in the midst of their discernment i get to help them wrestle i get to help them i get to be the mirror where i hold up a mirror to them and say where are you in these identities of your heart like do you know how to be a daughter how do you need to grow in these things so that you can know yourself and possess yourself so that you can give yourself
1: that is really cool. So
0: it's all the things I love about teaching high school without all the things I hated about teaching high school, like <laughs> lesson plans and grading. Cause those are for the birds, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did them in obedience yeah, and in yeah, the yeah, diligence yeah. of that, my apostolate, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but I really love just, uh, just walking with people, being able to come to things like net. I do a lot of things with life teen as well. I nice. do some things with focus, like just to Great. meet young people where they are uh, because they're, they want to do god's will there's yeah. a there's a deep desire for people to do god's will but there's a poverty of discernment yeah uh, a poverty of knowing how to like even what it means or how to do it and a fear i think there's a legitimate fear of discernment because like what if god asked me to do something that i don't want to do <laughs> well it's it's a possibility yeah but um knowing like to, to follow christ unconditionally does not mean priesthood and religious life for everyone but i think right. in in some catholic circles there's kind of some um that, that's that's a big fear for people
1: yeah Absolutely. Like, if I
0: give God everything, is He going to make me join the convent?
1: Yeah. So, in your discernment of your identity, at some point prior to being a sister, you you, you your heart kind of resonated with, "I am made to be a spiritual mother." Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to be a story behind your vocation. Yeah,
0: sure. Um, so, I went to Franciscan University for my undergraduate degree. Yeah. I'm from Rhode Island. I think I said that earlier, talking yeah. about the water. Uh, from Rhode Island, went to Franciscan University. My parents were not like super excited about me going a that far away to this like well, what are you going to do with a degree in theology kind of kind of thing but i just knew from the moment i set foot on that campus that that's where i was supposed to be it was like something that was there touched something that was inside of my heart and this little explosion happened and i was like this is this is it like this is home hmm. this is where i belong and so regardless of what everyone else thought i was like this is what i'm doing kind of thing so i went i studied theology uh, with a concentration in religious education. And I was getting ready to graduate. Dated a couple guys while I was there. Um, The two groups of people that I met at Franciscan that really changed my life were cute Catholic boys and (laughs) sisters that were under the age of 60 and weren't angry. So I was like, "All right, now one or the other." (laughs) Yeah, shoot, you know. Uh, So I dated one of those cute Catholic boys. He was actually from back home, but dated him good. uh, Good, you know, went to mass on Sundays. Kind of Catholic boy, not. But I kind of knew in that relationship that he wasn't strong enough for me. That he didn't he didn't want holiness as much as I did, and that would never work. Um, and so I went home to break up with him, but he has really he has, he has, like beautiful brown eyes, and I just looked into his eyes and I melted and didn't do it. So I had to like, wait and then I broke up with him over the phone like six months later, went, over, like, went on way too long. Well, part of that too was I got to this point where it was March and I was getting ready to graduate in a couple months. Hmm. And I recognized that all the decisions that I was making or all the things that were in my mind as possible decisions for my future were based on him. They weren't based on my desires and they weren't based on God's plan for me at all. It was uh, like, okay, what, like, what am I going to do to make him happy? Or like, I need to get a job back there. Cause that's where he is. And I thought, wait, this is super dysfunctional and disordered. I've got to, I've got to cut this off. Um, so that was not that hard of a decision. I knew that I had to do it. So I called him up and we did it. Um, He's still not married. He's probably like, I was probably the one that got away, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there I was, like, a couple months before graduation, eyes, like, arms wide open, like, Lord, whatever you want, I will I will do it. I will go wherever you want me to go. And my best friend, he graduated in December, and so he came back to visit, and uh, he was visiting and said, hey, I have your dream job for you. It's in Tennessee. I was like, huh. I'm an East Coast city girl. Like, I don't think Tennessee is my dream. Like, Tennessee and dream job, they don't go in the same sentence for me, you know? <laughs> (laughs) Um and he's like, Well just think about it and pray about it. Those are very it's very dangerous advice from anyone. He gives me the phone number for this priest, um, and so I I thought about it, I prayed about it. well I thought I'll just just call and get the information like what's the worst that could happen you know so I call this priest and literally as he's talking to me and telling me this vision that he has for his parish I was like dancing around my dorm room because the joy like the joy that was filling my heart was just completely the sense of what he's saying is resonating with what's happening in my heart and this is where I need to be so two weeks after graduation he flew me down for an interview and within an hour of being there offered me the job but he said I want you to spend the rest of the weekend here to make sure you can handle living in a place like this kind of you know it's just very different from what you're used to that same weekend uh said friend who mentioned the job to me came to visit like came up he was lived like two hours away and basically said um i he was applying to the seminary at the time he said i changed my mind i I can't go i can't go on with this and i was like good because the glory of god is man fully alive and if you're not fully alive don't Mm. do it so he goes well i've been thinking a lot about that because i said that to him at graduation and he goes and i all the times that i in my life that i've been the most fully alive have been times i've shared with you and I concurred. I mean, we've had we had a lot of good times together. We've been best friends for four years of college. Uh, he was everything I could possibly imagine, and the perfect husband and father. Mm. We had studied abroad together. And we just had a lot of a lot of history. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, all right. So he's like, I just feel like maybe God's inviting us to to maybe discern what our what our what this friendship is all about and like possibly the possibility that we might be called to marriage. And I was like, yep. this is like the this like the best weekend ever. I got my dream job and my dream boyfriend all at once. Um, but sometimes if people ask me my vocation story, I'm like, Yeah, it was a series of God shutting doors. Like opening doors and shutting doors. Yeah. So he opens this door for the job, opens this door to this like wonderful young man that I started to date, moved to Tennessee, began my life down there and three months in we broke up. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, Now what Lord? And uh and the answer to that was come to me. And so I, I lived next door to the church. I had a key. And so it, usually late at night, I would key into the church. I'd bring my guitar, my journal, and my Bible. And I would sit in the first pew or maybe on the floor between the first pew and the sanctuary. And I would just pour out my heart to the Lord. And he, he taught me how to pray. Like, he taught me how to pray like I had never prayed before in my life. And in, in that, just really revealed to me my desires, revealed to me the shape of my heart, uh, kind of pulled back the veil and showed me how much I am drawn to the cross and how much I love Christ crucified and how much um, just the pierced side of Christ mm-hmm. was just a part of my heart's desire for a very long time. And so then I thought back to this one sister that I had as a professor who would always talk about the charism of our community to make the merciful love of Christ visible, mm. and it's based on John nineteen thirty seven. We shall look upon the one whom we have pierced. And here I was sitting in the church looking upon the one whom I had pierced, uh, and I was pierced to the heart, and I was I was cut to the heart in that. I was also reading John Paul II's writings about women and about how every woman is called to be both virgin and mother, and it's up to her to discern how that paradox will look in her life. And
1: so Wait, I started say that say that again because it's oh so every every. Woman
0: woman is called to be both virgin and mother after the heart of our blessed mother. Um, But obviously she's the only one who's lived that physically in in the history of the world. And so it's up to each woman to discern how her heart was created to live out that paradox. What is that paradox going to look like? Um, And so, for me, as I prayed with that, uh, the joy and the freedom and the peace that came came when I thought about more so about spiritual motherhood and uh, living in the parish, working in the parish. I would walk in on Wednesday nights for our religious ed night, and I would have a kid on every limb, and I'd have to peel them off, and none of them were mine, but yet they all came to me as if they were mine. Mm. Um, I would go over to family's houses for dinner, and like little this little one, Bo was the one that I remember the most. Mm. Bo would crawl into my lap and sit on my lap and draw me pictures and fall asleep in my arms, and wasn't his mother but yet there was a maternity that he really he drew out of me but not just with children Uh, there was even a maternity that was growing in me for people who were twice my age people who were old enough to be my mom people who who were even old enough to be my grandma uh they would come to me and ask me this one lady her husband died and she like asked me to help her pray through this and i'm like i'm a 21 year old kid (laughs) yeah i i don't know the first thing about what it's like to lose a husband after being married for over 50 years but yet in that there was this maternity that was growing in me uh and kind of this expansion of the heart that was happening for me to be able to recognize, okay, God is doing something, and so um, I contacted our community of sisters of Saint Francis the Martyr, Saint George, just because I knew them at Franciscan, and I knew that if I was called to religious life, I was called to be Franciscan. I'm okay. way too Franciscan to be Dominican. It just would never happen. I have a biological. <laughs> my sister is a Dominican sister, so oh, wow. it's just kind of funny. Uh, it's like Army Navy sort of, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, just just a Franciscan heart. I love Francis and his love for the incarnation and the way that he kind of reveals the incarnation to the world. His love specifically of the crib, the cross, and the Eucharist. And for for our community, kind of the the high point of that is the cross uh, that that sense of looking upon the one and we have pierced and so I was like alright if I'm called to be a religious I'm called to be a Franciscan I want to be in a Franciscan community that's faithful to the church so that knocks down about 70% of them and then it was like okay <laughs> CFRs are beautiful and I love them but I don't think I can sleep on a floor for the rest of my life so <laughs> that's probably not happening and um, and just the apostolate of our sisters of kind of just making the merciful love of Christ visible in whatever way is, ne- is needed uh, was really attractive to me and specifically the education arm so visited the sisters uh, Labor Day weekend of 2000 and um, by like I walked through the door and it was like something that was there touched something that was inside of me and that little explosion happened and I thought, I've been here before. Mm. I've been here before at Franciscan. I was here before when I was interviewing for this job in Tennessee I have to trust that God is using that pattern. This is a big, important part of discernment, too, to look for the patterns. How has God led you at different points in your life? This was a very clear pattern for me. So um, I spoke to the superior at the time and asked her if I could enter. I said, you know, your, your charism really draws me, but also um, I have a degree in theology and religious education. You all teach. I think it would be a good fit. Yeah. And she looked at me and said, well, you have to come, even if it means you never teach again, because it's not what you do. It's who you are. Wow. So if God's calling you, he's calling you primarily to be a sister of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George. And I could send you back to school to be a nurse. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, but I'm bad at chemistry and I don't do blood. So I don't think that would <laughs> work out very well. And she goes, yeah, it's not what you do. It's who you are. And yeah. So until you can surrender that love for teaching, I, I can't accept you. And so I walked wow. away that weekend like the rich young man. Yeah. Uh, because I, I knew there was something there that drew my heart. There was something there that set my heart on fire that made me come alive but i wasn't sure if i could give up my love for teaching and specifically my teaching the faith like handing on uh just the beauty and the and the glory of what it means to follow jesus and that just discipleship and walking with people i thought i don't know if i can give that up it's so that is a part of who i am in so many ways so i prayed a lot in those uh, those couple months my prayer was like lord if this is what you really want, like you have to take away my love for teaching and you have to help me to trust you that I could pass chemistry. If this is actually what it would come down to. Mm. And over the course of those two months, he really detached my heart. Uh, really definitely answered that prayer as I grew deeper with him and kind of grappled with him and wrestled with him in that. Yeah. Uh, this is where I was praying like a pirate before I even knew what it was. You know? <laughs> um, and and over the course of those months he really got me to the point where I could go back. I went back at the at the end of November just before Thanksgiving and I looked at mother in the eye and was able to say to her with all freedom and honesty, I will come even if I never teach again, even if you send me back to school to be a nurse. Mm. So, but I think that was my Abraham moment because I've always been in some form of education, so even as a postulant, I got to teach religion at the grade school in town, kindergarten and first graders. They're now in college, but uh, it was great to be able to be in the classroom with them. And then, of course, working in the parish, teaching in high school, and even as a vocation director, although I don't Mm -hmm. have a classroom that I go to every day, I get to do a lot of teaching, whether it's in a one-on-one conversation where I'm discipling someone or helping them grow in prayer or helping them grapple with a particular aspect of their discernment, or if I get to go into a grade school and um, and teach them a little something about Vocations or what it means to be a sister. I do a lot of work with the Diocesan Vocation Director in Springfield, Illinois. He's a good friend of mine. So we developed this like talk show called Fully Alive Live. And we go in and we're just kind of goofy and we do some skits and uh, little things and some demonstrations about discernment. And yeah, that's awesome.
1: (laughs) So your vocation story has been, you know, a long one, but was there a specific point in (laughs) the process where you were like, before you were consecrated, that you said, I know that I want to be a sister and this is like definite knowledge or was it more just a growing into it?
0: Yeah, I think it's a growing into it. Um, I think a lot of people want the definite knowledge before they even go. And I, and I'm not sure that that's, (laughs) that's worth even trying to do Um, because there's this idea of, um, Kind of like a moral certitude that even if I don't know all the pieces, yeah. I know enough of the pieces to walk. Through. One of the so one of the um, like analogies that my friend Father Alfred and I use is a puzzle, right? So when you're putting together a puzzle, you don't have to put all the pieces in before you can tell what the image is going to be. Yeah, right. And so part of it is like taking the next right step, and that's the most important thing with the with discernment is I'm always taking the next right step. So the next right step was for me to visit the sisters and then recognize, okay, I think this is where it is. So I was asking for an application, and then oh no, Mother's wants me to give up my love for teaching, so it was Wrestling with that—that that was yeah. my next right step, and then I could go back and ask for an application. But then, I mean, I asked for my application in November and didn't come to the following September. And uh, the yeah. enemy had a lot of fun in those nine months because there's a lot of time to to kind of wrestle and like, well, maybe maybe I should have dated more, or maybe that relationship yeah. was going to go somewhere. And it, you know, so um, kind of second guessing, but just trying yeah. to keep my eyes on Christ crucified. And so. If you keep your eyes on the Lord and take the next right step, Amen. you will gradually find yourself walking your way into your vocation.
1: This, this might, I, I don't know if this is a, a positive thing or a negative thing, but for me, leading up to my marriage, maybe the last month or two, there was just a darkness. There was just a, I, I just don't know. Like, hmm. um, you know, I had, I had the classic, like, maybe I am called to be a priest. Maybe I didn't discern properly. Maybe um, I fooled myself somehow. Um, and really, I remember on my wedding day, walking down the aisle and saying, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to know my vocation. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I totally get you. I When I walked down the aisle on August 14, 2015 to make my final vows, I walked down that aisle like so free and so light yeah. and just so sure that that was exactly what needed to be happening in yeah. that moment and that I was made for this. Yeah. Like that's just... Um, there's this quote, I think Rainer Maria Rilke, he's a German poet and theologian, but it's this whole thing like live the questions. And as you live the questions, mm. you will gradually find yourself living your way into the answer. That yeah. it's not a matter of trying to figure something out. Like it's not this great mystery you're going to figure out, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you live the mystery. And as you choose to live the mystery, mm-hmm. things just happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it's really good. The truth that you've spoken so far to me, like I really want to like actually go away and reflect on the whole, Different identities, um, but like a practical application of them for your everyday person, whether in any vocation. Um, sure. What what would, what would you, What's your advice for that?
0: So first and foremost, receptivity, like going before the Lord every day in prayer and allowing him to remind you who you are. Yeah. (laughs) Like really receiving that so that you can then go out and be a good brother or sister. And that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. And that's why we have the Sacrament of Reconciliation, because most of our sin comes in the context of our relationships with each other. Yeah. Um, And so just recognizing what are the ways that I can give myself. And that's something that I really like I, I hammer home with some of these missionaries, like, okay, how are you giving yourself yeah. today? Um, I was praying with someone the other day. He was just saying like how much he wants to be married. And I was like, that's that's great. But like, how are you living now for your sisters in Christ? Like, how are you dying today for your sisters in Christ? Like yes. maybe it's loading the van. Maybe it's carrying someone's stuff for them, yes. um, holding the door. Like it's something so simple, oh but gosh. like learning how to give, even sometimes if that gift is not received well. Mm. Um, and maybe in those moments to choose to give all the more. I mean, mm. Jesus, the gift of self that Jesus offers us on the cross is not always received well, and the greatest pain in the world is unanswered love. Yeah. But He shows us what that looks like, and He shows us how to live in that and yeah. live through it, um, and rise from that. Actually, even to rise from that rejected
1: love. Let me let me recap because I, I. So we have, son and daughter receiving. Yep. Brother and sister, giving. Um, spouse, giving and receiving. Yes. Um, mother or father, um, giving but in a nurturing kind of way. Correct.
0: It's it's a giving but it's also this, this educative. Yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. word education is to draw out of and okay. so there is there's like to educate is to nurture and also to to draw out of the child all at the same time. There's this beautiful painting by Jean-François Millier. and it's a yeah. uh, it's a fa- it's a mother behind her child like holding the hands of the child learning to walk and the father is probably about 4 feet out down at the child's level with his arms open. Mm. Um, the child needs both. Yeah. The child needs the one standing behind and anchoring so that she can put one foot in front of the other and go mm-hmm. towards the one who is creating that path. And the, the love between the mother and the father is what creates the path for mm. the child to set out, mm. uh, to know that she is given, to know that she is given for this adventure of setting out, yeah. but that she's always received.
1: Wow, wow. Yeah, I, f- I, I feel like something resonating with me right now is just like the concept of uh, reception. You know, like, um, I, I feel there's times when I, I'll struggle with that, then there's times when I selfish and struggle with sure. the giving um so so with that you'd recommend that I pray like a pirate yeah <laughs> acknowledge it um relate relate it receive receive it and then respond and then respond right so wait okay so acknowledge I get that I get the what's the relate part?
0: relate is like relating so you're just saying like okay this is how i'm feeling right now yeah. the relating is like you would you would share with someone in exact words and exact detail what it is share so with someone with jesus okay. like so okay. in the same way that you would go to someone and like yeah. want to vent about something it's like learning how to do that with the lord in okay. a very like very frank prayer life. like it's, yeah. i think sometimes we approach prayers as like It has to be cleaned up. It has to be perfect. It has to sound a certain way, but it really has to be real. (laughs) And so that relating has to be real relating where we are giving everything to him in very frank terms um, and not holding back.
1: And then receive, so receiving...
0: What does he have to say about what, that? How does he, How does to he want to enter into that? How does he want to redirect yeah. that? How does he want to um, put on your, your God glasses? How does he want to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like the gift of wisdom or the gift of understanding yeah. to see where he is or what he's doing in the midst of that? Because he's always doing something. Yeah. So what is that? Yeah. Let him show you um, as he responds yeah. to your relating. Yeah. And then your last, your last piece is to respond. So yeah. Uh, as he, as you receive from him, then you respond. And so it's how yeah. do I take this gift that the Lord has given me—the gift of His truth—in the midst of the situation mm-hmm. and live from that truth.
1: Mm, that's beautiful. I've loved this conversation. Yeah, this so has much. been great.
0: This has been so fun. I'm getting so fired up. And yeah, <laughs> it's great to be great to be with you here at camp. And uh, yeah,
1: absolutely, it is. Thank you for being here with us, sister. Yeah.
0: Thanks for thanks for having me. God bless. God bless you.